Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. As we prepare our hearts for the service today, I want to spend a little time talking to you about God's amazing grace. And so I'm going to ask you now to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse 8 and verse 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Father, we ask you now that as we prepare our hearts for the service today, that your blessing will attend us. In Jesus' name we pray. God's amazing grace. During the 1700, a man by the name of John Newton wrote a song called Amazing Grace. In fact, research has shown that although the song is attributed to John Newton, he actually did not write the song because Uh, where there should be a name of the author, it is actually author unknown. In fact, there are those who believe that the song was actually written by one of the slaves on the ship. But then this song is attributed to John Newton. Amazing grace. And almost everyone knows the first stanza of the song. What does it say? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And I remember... When I grew up in my church back home, there was a lady who used to give her testimony. I remember her very well. As a little boy, she would give her testimony. Sister Cunningham. And she would say, Amazing grace, so sweet the sound that save a wretched wretch like me. All of us here could take that that label. All of us. So John Newton did not always consider God's amazing grace. There was a time when he was a very hard and cruel man. Because he dealt in human cargo. As a sea captain, he carried slaves from Africa to Europe. 
It was during a dangerous storm one night. Newton was made to realize his need for God's grace. And he cried out to God for salvation. God did save John. And by his amazing grace, God gloriously changed him. And from that point, John recognized and worshipped God as the author of grace. Some believe that amazing grace is the greatest hymn ever written. Indeed, it is a great song. But the question is, what is grace? Now, the word grace here in the New Testament derives from a word in the original Greek that is called charis. C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. In secular Greek, charis also carries another meaning or another term, kario. It means to rejoice. It also means sweetness or attractiveness. But you know, in in language and uh and uh w- those who study language our languages are called etymologists and so in etymology the word actually changed slightly over the years and so in later years charis has come To signify favor, goodwill, and loving kindness. Especially as a a greater or a superior is, is giving favor and goodwill and loving kindness to an inferior one. And so in the New Testament... Grace is mentioned 156 times. Here in the text in Ephesians, it takes on a special redemptive dimension. And so in this, God makes available his favor on behalf of sinners who... Actually, do not deserve this favor of his grace. Grace only applies to sinners. If you have not been a sinner, and if you are not a sinner, you don't need grace. So in the New Testament, grace here, as as you as commonly is described as God's unmerited favor. This definition is not broad enough in scope 
to fully define what grace is all about. And so when someone asks you what is grace, and you say that it is God's unmerited favor, you are right. God's giving his favor to those who don't merit it. But that is narrow in its scope. So now, let us look at some example of how the Bible uses the word grace. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. It says here, And the child, referring to Jesus, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So this would give you now a different dimension that it really doesn't mean or has in there this salvific proportion. For Jesus didn't need grace. So it must be that it has a new meaning here other than the salvific propensity. So here it is. That grace does not mean only to pour salvation on us. Then in, 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 in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 it says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. What it means here is that your speech should be palatable. You know, as it comes to speech, you know, people can destroy you with their speech. You know, someone says that the tongue, the tongue, you know the tongue? Tongue. Tongue here, this thing here that is called tongue. Is the only edge tool that does not get dull with constant use. In other words, those of you who have your knife at home, every now and again you have to brush it up for it to get sharp. Am I right? But you, the more you use the tongue, the sharper it becomes. Sometimes you should allow your brain to control your tongue. If you would just think sometimes... Of what you say. Because it can be so caustic. And so far reaching. That it destroys people. But let, on the other side though. You should never let anybody destroy you by their words. Oh yeah. Let it rolls off like water and ducks back. But I want to say to you here, let us be kind with our words. Our words, our words fitly spoken are like apples of gold in pitchers of silver, says the great wise man. You saw here, it says here, let your word be seasoned with grace. It means with goodwill, with kindness, with understanding. And listen to me. Don't let anybody denigrate you with their words. So, that's grace. 
Grace here enables us to be good citizens. Then in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. So the word grace here again, gracious. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. So let your words be kind. And uh, a friend, I have a friend, and we develop a little motto when we, when we, when we were in school. He says, it goes like this. Let your words be few or even hold your peace if you have nothing good to say. My friend and I, we developed that. So, as we look at God's grace... Grace is that entity that gives rise to redemption. Without grace, there is no redemption. Because redemption here means to reclaim. What it means? To reclaim. Redemption means to take back. As a matter of fact, when you look at the word the word redemption is made up of two words. The word, the two first letter is re, which the prefix, which means to take back. That is why it is wrong to say reverse back. Because the, the, the re in the prefix in the word reverse means to go back, re. So redemption here means to reclaim or to repurchase. And so all of us here today, we have been sold out to sin. Because of our action, the devil now claims us. So in order for us to really have meaning to our lives, we have to have someone who is not emotionally involved in the trauma that sin creates. And this one comes in who is innocent. And this one comes in who is not uh, involved in the sin issue. And then he comes now and he, he buys us back by giving his life for all of us. And... Um, there is a, a, a great uh, English scholar by the name of William Vine. William Vine. In talking about grace, he said, Grace is that which bestows or occasions pleasure, delight, or causes favorable regard. On the part of the bestower. He says here. That grace is the friendly disposition. 
from which the kindly act proceeds. Graciousness, loving kindness, goodwill, especially with reference to the divine favor of God. And so, and of course I quoted that from the expository dictionary of the New Testament word by William Vine, page 509 to 510. Now, God's grace is loving kindness to all of us. God's grace is in response to the tragedy of sin. Grace is a summary of all that God has done to effect the salvation of humanity. It includes all of God's act which shows favor, yes, and understanding and goodwill for all of us. The greatest demonstration of God's grace to all of us is what took place at Calvary. What did I say? The greatest demonstration of God's grace is what took place at Calvary. Now what took place at Calvary? What is it? Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, walked up to Golgotha's hill and there he gave his life in full sacrifice so that all of us sinners can claim redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the thing about it is that we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Yes, listen here what, how Paul puts it. Now, before I tell you how Paul puts it, I must say here to you that grace is more than passive piety. It expresses itself in real concrete act of love. In other words, I cannot say I love you and I don't have anything to show that I love you. You know? Is like, is like a, a husband who say to his wife, Dear, I love you and I will give you anything I have. And then she says to you, Well, you know, I really need some money to buy something. And then you open your wallet and then you turn your back to her and look inside. Yeah, you know, you turn your back. And you search inside. And of all the hundred dollars that you have, you take out the one dollar and you give it to her. That is the measure of your love. Yeah? Oh yeah. But why you have to turn your back? Because you don't want her to see what is in the wallet. Am I right? Yeah. But love doesn't work like that. Love doesn't work like that. So you what 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 uh Hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us 
in that while we were still sinners. What happened church? Christ died for all of us. For all of us. And the nice thing about what Christ does is that he does not discriminate. You know? Yeah, if God would discriminate, some of us wouldn't make it. Because you don't have you don't have the right hue. Or you don't have the right pigmentation. Or your frontal lobe does not carry the right kind of cells in it. And there was a big news on the radio this week about a, a, a congressman who says that America is populating itself with somebody else's baby. What it means is this, that the, the, the pristine race is not being maintained because you are getting people for all, from all different culture to make up the population. And they need, that needs to be stopped. So some of us might have to go back where we come from. But God does not discriminate. All of us, every human being is equal before God. Not only that, every soul is equal at the foot of the cross. And so God demonstrated his love towards us. He didn't wait until we were worthy. He didn't wait until we cleaned up ourselves. He didn't wait until we were ready. He was there with his arms outstretched, crying and waiting and calling for all of us to come to him. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden, and I will not. I will give you rest. And the rest there mean rest from the pressures and the pain of sin that ravages the human heart. And so the concept of grace first appears in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, that's where the word appears first. It says here, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What it says? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the context here is that the Lord was grieved at how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. According to Genesis 6, 6 and verse 5. So this statement about the Lord's disappointment with man's behavior is followed by his promise that he will... Wipe out mankind from the face of the earth. That's what it says here. Completely he will destroy them. Because of his anger that burns against sin. And here it is. That God asked Noah to build an ark. But then... Noah was supposed to prepare the people to go in the ark. Because God's grace does not discriminate. 
everyone had an opportunity to go in the ark. That's why the ark was so big. God knew how many people would be saved in the ark. Long before he asked Noah to build it. So he never had to build it so big. Because he knew only eight people would be in there. Plus the animal. But there was space there. For thousands of people. So this idea here is that God makes the provision. But you and I have the right to decide what we do. You know, God, I don't know how God is God. Because I'm glad I'm not God. And God, I couldn't be God. Because here it is. That God made us. And God made us with choice. You can choose what you want. And that is why those of us who come to church. And those of us who lead out in church. We must recognize that people come here by choice. Oh yes. And so when you come we need to treat you good. Because you don't have to come here. Because you have a choice. And that's how God made us. But God created and made the possibility for us to be saved. Heaven is a big place. Earth is a wide place. So why don't all of us decide that we want to be saved? We have a choice. And so God... Destroyed every single person that was on the face of the earth during the flood except eight people. And from Adam and Eve to millions of people. And then those were destroyed. There were those who died before the flood who were saved. As a matter of fact, one name is Methuselah. And the word Methuselah in the Hebrew means after me the deluge. But then from those eight people, God repopulates the earth. And so it's because of his grace while humanity is still on the face of the earth. And God's grace is saying to us today that you and I have another chance. Have another chance. And so in the New Testament, grace means God's love in action. In action towards men and women who merit the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to descend into hell and the cross so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and be received into 
his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is why Paul says we are saved by grace. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. It is the gift of God. And John says it right when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is the willingness to give that creates the grace, that creates the salvation, that creates the sacrifice that comes out of the love of Almighty God. And today, as we celebrate this service today, we are saying, Oh God, thank you for redeeming grace. Thank you for your matchless love. As you come today, I want you to search your own heart. Search your own life. How are you appropriating the love and the redemption and the grace of God to your own life? Gentlemen, husbands here, are you loving your wives? There are many times that my wife has to extend grace to me. Because you look at me in the pulpit here and you say, what a nice man he is. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we can be mean to those who are closest to us. And if she was here, you know, She'd really say he's a nice man. But he, she would say not all the time. Are we loving our children? Those at work that we work with. Are you caught up in the, the, the professional struggle to, to acquire that you walk and those around you? As a member of the body of Christ, are you willing? Without grace, you know, there can be no forgiveness because grace really means to forgive. One of the things that plagues the church is divorce. It's a bad thing. But you know, since sin has entered, a lot of bad things have happened. And it's not that we are bad sometimes, but it's because of what sin has done to us.
And so, some divorce could have been averted if we were willing to extend grace. To extend grace. Grace really means second chance, but is not just to give a second chance and to stand by and allow the person to perish. Once you give the second chance, not in theory alone, but you must also rally with all that you have to make sure that that person is saved. That's what Jesus has done. He gives you the second chance and he says, now, if you will take this opportunity, I will wipe clean your slate and you can start over anew. But listen, that which you have done, I cannot just throw it away. It has to be paid for. For there is no wrong deed that is not accounted for. I remember when I was in school, my roommate was a business major. And uh, they, one of the, the difficult subjects that they grappled with is accounting. And they had to prepare this ledger. It was a part of the assignment. And they had to balance accounts. And one night, my roommate sat up all night trying to balance the leisure. And when I got up in the night and I saw him, I said, why aren't you not sleeping? He said, I can't balance this thing. It is one cent out. And I said to him, you know, out of ignorance. I said, so you sit up all night trying to find one cent? Just put it in. He said, no. Normally you can't work like that. You have to find that one cent so that it can be balanced. Because if it is not balanced, I can't turn in this assignment. And I, I thought of that for a while, you know. And I look at my own sin. And when I come to Jesus and ask him to forgive me, he says, Harding, I will forgive you, but somebody has to pay for the wrong that you have done. Because I just can't just wipe it clean like that. Because there is no free ride. It has to be paid for. And that is why the songwriter says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain. He washes white as snow. Oh, grace is free, but it is not cheap. What did I say? 
Grace is what? Free, but is what? What? Cheap. It costs God everything. For when Jesus came down here to die for our sin, God gave everything. There was nothing else left for him to give. One man puts it this way. He says that when God gave Jesus for our sin, his pocket was empty. So the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all people, then causing us to deny ungodly loss and to live soberly. Yes, it says that is in Titus 2 and verse 11, and that's my last text. Titus 2 and verse 11. What is the effect of grace? What is the effect of it? What does it do? What is the end result of grace? It says here, for the grace of God has that bringeth salvation. So the grace of God, what it does? It brings salvation. And it says there, it appears unto all men. And then when it comes, it teaches us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should live what? Soberly, that means you're not drunken. And you must live righteously, that you are living a righteous life, right doing. And godly, meaning that Jesus Christ, God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit become the circumference of your life. And so, having received the grace of God, what are you going to do about it? Church, what are you going to do about it? I suggest today that your only appropriate response is to do like what the apostles say. Yes. And not only apostle, and all Isaiah also says, after he was called and after he was renovated, and after he felt the power of redemption, he said, Here am I, O Lord, send me. And then the apostle, when he stood before Jesus and realized the grace of God, what it does for him, he says, God, Jesus Christ, the apostle says, Oh, Take me just as I am. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God. Each day as you wake up out of your bed, you should be asking because of the grace of God, God, what will thou have me to do? Are you happy for the grace of God? Amen. Does it mean anything to you? Yes. Are you here today because of the grace of God? Yes. Are you boasting because of what you've accomplished in this life? You can't do it yet. 
You do it your way, you are doomed. But if you do it Jesus' way, you are saved. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at savinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting savinggracesda.org.